The boy stared at the stranger, perplexed. The stranger did not like the silence. You seem confused, boy. The boy all but erupted. I am confused. The Volva told Odin to find Mimir. He had to sacrifice himself to the Allfather, which we all know is Odin? And he had to hang himself for nine days? None of that makes sense. The stranger bit back a smile, but the boy saw it. What's so funny? The stranger shook his head. Nothing. But let me ask you a question, boy. What is Odin the god of? The boy did not understand. The stranger's eye twinkled, and he elaborated. Thor is the god of thunder, protector of mankind. Tyr, the god of war. Freya, goddess of magic and love. Fragi, god of poetry. So what is Odin the god of? This stumped the boy, but he answered all the same. He is god of the glorious dead, and of the Valkyrie, and of wisdom. The stranger nodded. He is, but he is more than the god of the glorious dead, for all dead go to where Odin has assigned them based on their actions. He rules all the dead, for it was he who gave ownership of Helheim to Hela, was it not? Note that Odin's hall was burned down by the Vanir. Where did the dead go, then? The boy shook his head. Nowhere. Because this was a time before Valhalla, boy. Odin had not the wisdom to make it, indeed, for all his supposed wisdom. Odin was very much unwise. So, Odin needed wisdom. Already he knew the journey to Mimir would change him, make him the god he needed to be to end the war. He knew this coming back to Yggdrasil with Loki. Have you not been listening, boy? The boy looked incredulous, as if insulted. How does Odin spread his knowledge? You can teach a man to plow the earth. You can teach him to cast nets into the sea. Those methods of transmission. But what other ways? What about the stones outside your home, boy? The boy looked outside to the Yule night air, past the horse and the wolves and the ravens, to the two stones that stood at the edge of their land, rune stones covered in writing. He could not read them, but there were warnings against those who would set foot on his mother's land. Runes. Odin did not yet have runes. The stranger smiled. Then let us resume and find out how he came to have runes. Welcome to Goddessy, Season 2, Episode 4, The Gallows God. Odin and Loki returned from Jotunheim, and no more did they speak of what had happened there, what Odin had seen. Loki liked it that way, and Odin had other things on his mind. Like you, boy, he did not understand. Why must he sacrifice himself? How could he survive, not just survive, but survive for nine days? It was madness. And the Allfather, who was he? Odin did not know in those days the meaning of the word, and was thus confused. So he did what he does best. He conspired. He negotiated. He begged. You seem shocked that I would say such a thing of Grimnir, that the god might strike me down right here, right now. You would be right, but I speak the truth. Odin has nothing but negotiated the odds his entire existence. Think on it from what you know. What he did to Emir with his brothers was him offsetting the odds. A being of constant chaos, of creation unbound like Emir, too much of a threat to let remain alive. He weighed the odds, better to destroy Emir, become lifelong enemy of the Jotuns, who revere Emir, 
to suffer a chaotic peace with Emir alive. Odin is a being of order, of sense, of logic, of wisdom. There is no wisdom in that which cannot be controlled in some way. So he negotiated in the only way he knew how. He sought to find a way to be deceptive. He and Loki thought of magic together, of ways this might work. They went through everything, but neither knowing who the Allfather was, how could they deceive such an entity with that name? Loki had many ideas, but Odin liked none of them. No, he decided as they reached the branches that held up the upper worlds of Asgard, Alfheim, and Vanaheim. He must do this, without deception, but with a full heart and hope. For it was true, a proper hanging does not always kill the victim outright. A kind hanging snaps the neck of the victim, but a cruel one? It may take hours or even a day for them to perish. Odin was no mere man, but a god, an Aesir, one of the High Holy Ones. He might survive, who could say? Upon arriving, he and Loki fastened a rope from the vines that grew around Yggdrasil and found a remote branch near the top. Measuring the length just so, Odin removed his clothes and placed his spear on a side branch angled parallel to the branch they stood upon, but perpendicular to where he might hang. Taking one last drink of his mead and gathering his courage, he wrapped the noose around his neck. He gave Loki a final command. Tell Frigga that I will return with Mimir. Say nothing else. Obey the orders given you, Laufey son. Loki smiled, that serpent smile, fire in his eyes. Of course, Odin. Thor will keep me in line, I suspect. With that, Loki hoisted as hard as his thin arms could, pulling Odin up. Already his neck burned, a fire growing in his chest and lungs as they held the weight of his whole body. Loki took the rope and tied it to another branch, putting magic on the knots. Bear witness, Loki. Odin choked out, and Loki stopped in his tracks, looking strangely mournful despite his smile. Odin began to move his legs as if kicking, struggling, but soon Loki understood. Now Odin was moving back and forth closer to the spear. With all his strength, he would kick and come closer before rocking back. It took time, but it became clear he would soon slam to the point of the tip of the spear. Odin cried out as best he could. I sacrifice myself in the name of the Allfather. The spear plunged into Odin's left side, just above his hip. He screamed and bled all over the green branches of Yggdrasil. Loki thought to say something, but in the end, he pulled his orange hood over his head and left for Asgard. Thirst. That was what Odin felt most. A desire for water, for mead, for ale, for something to quench the fire that filled his throat and surrounded it. Everything too burned, for his chest was not free of this evil, the heavy weight on him. His left side burned, a puncture at the side that seemed to grow with each swing. Odin hoped his all-father, whoever this person was, would be pleased. He hoped against hope that wisdom would come, that he might sleep find wisdom in dreams. It would not be so easy as that, he soon discovered. The hours were long there on Yggdrasil, which in those days was not yet known as Yggdrasil, for you see, boy, Yggdrasil's name has a special meaning. 
it is the horse of Yggdra. And who is Yggdra? It is Odin, boy. For when a man or woman is hanged, they are tied to a horse who pulls them to the height of a tree. Yggdrasil was the tree from which Odin would be hanged. For nine long days he would hang. The first day was simple enough. Drowning in pain, he eventually passed out, eyes cast downward to the well of Erd far, far below, for want of water and of breath. He left and came too, seeing images of his father bore, of his brothers Villa and Vey, rotting now, and of his mother, Besla, and her brother Mamir. Besla and Mamir were not Aesir, they could not be for there were Jotun among the first that came from the spawning emir in those days of early creation, prior to Odin's birth. Around their heads something stirred, appearing like a halo of light around them, moving and circling, symbols Odin had never seen before. He tried to squint but could not make them out, just as life came back to him. He was not dead, and he stirred on the second day to discover he was not alone. He had chosen a remote section of Yggdrasil's upper branches, hoping the winds of the wind of the eagle above might soothe him, and also for privacy. In this moment, the coldness he felt was overwhelming, for the eagle above flapped its wings in a storm's fury. And why were the eagle's wings flapping? Because Ratatosk had upset the eagle boy and Ratatosk the squirrel had found Odin, too. "'I know you!' it said, snickering as it clung to the tree. The giant red squirrel was monstrous, and its features exaggerated gross things. Massive shoulders were overly large, and claws reminded him of a bird's claws more than squirrels. Ratatosk's massive front teeth were yellowed and stained with bits of green-brown moss and unknowable red, giving Odin rise to worry about Ratatosk's diet. The squirrel's massive eyes stared at him, Ratatosk turning its head to look at Odin. "'You're new here, but I've seen you before. You always have a different face. Magic, right?' "'I know a few rumors about magic, about elf magic, Freya's magic.' Jotun magic. Magic that can make your gnarly feet go black in disgust and shame. But maybe I ought to just eat you, huh? Maybe. You're not going anywhere. Not anytime soon, huh? I'll figure out who you are, and I'll come back, and I'll eat your innards. Unless you want to tell me now? Odin said nothing, having nothing to say to the squirrel and knowing better. The squirrel scuttled down the tree, and Odin turned slowly in his noose, watching the world. Was it hours or days before he saw him? In the light that crept through Yggdrasil's branches, Odin saw him. Frey. A vision of handsome beauty, the earthen god was blonde and golden, muscular but lean, with a long face and nose, and a gentle demeanor about him. He wore no armor, but instead only clothes of cotton and leather, finer than any Odin had seen in ages, and so different from the clothes he wore. He sat by the edge of the world tree on a far branch, and there pondered something. Beside him sat his famed sword, and behind him a chariot driven by two bronze boars, their bristles like knives. Odin saw this, and he saw something else. A symbol, for soon he drifted from what he assumed was waking life into the world of the Norns, where dreams reign.
The symbol erupted from Frey's head. A line with two emerging from it pointed up like a branch. It reminded Odin not just of growth and plant life, but of the wealth it brings. And that wealth comes sorrow. For truth, wealth was the source of much strife among kin. This was the symbol of Frey and his people, and of Freya too. Soon, the dream vision faded and replaced Frey with the image of the primordial Cal Adumbla standing, watching, its horns lopsided and uneven. The cow's horns were massive, for indeed it was an auroch, an auroch with a gorgeous golden mane and perfectly trimmed hair. Adumbla's symbol was closer to a horseshoe, reminding him of the power of livestock to build and to destroy dynasties. The savage beast fights with horns, a proud stalwart against its foes and the foes of its master. Another figure appeared, this one with a host. Jotun of all shape and sizes, some angry, some not, some friends, some not. They moved, and against them stood one alone, a figure wielding a kind of weapon, lightning striking him as he did. Screaming out that he acted in Odin's name, the figure threw his weapon at the enemy, felling him in a single blow. Then he saw the symbol, a vertical line with a triangle at its center pointing to the right. These were no mere symbols, so what were they? Where did they come from? The fourth spoke to him directly, and behind it he saw his father, his brothers, Frigga, Heimdall, and all of their people shining from the heavens, and a host of goddesses on horses riding forth to battle. It looked like Frey's symbol, but with the branches going downward instead of upward. The two were connected with nuance. Odin had been right. He was on the right path. This was the path to wisdom. The symbol changed to a fifth and a sixth and a seventh and an eighth. A symbol for journeys across the nine worlds, a painful illumination symbol, a generous gift of a symbol and a joyous symbol. He heard names spoken in his father's voice. Fehu, Uruz, Durizaz, Anwas, Raido, Kanan, Gebo, and Wunyo. These were runes. They were the Futhark. How this knowledge came to him, he cannot say, but the meanings were clear to him, and there were more. He awoke, drawn from the dream. It was night, but not the same day. Time had passed, and pain replaced his static knowledge. Two massive eyes stared at him, closer now than they were before. Ratatosk had returned. You've been asleep. I thought you were dead, but I beat you with my tail and you cursed me. You'll still die, but you're not dead yet. Needhawk says you'll not last another night. Into your third day. Did you know? Three days, boar son. Odin grimaced. The squirrel had realized who he was. I wonder how your people will get on without you. Rumor has it your brothers are dead too. Is that why you sent the harsh huntsman Uller to Frigga's bed? To do what you cannot while you kill yourself? wanted to lash out, having no patience, but as he did, the squirrel merely scampered up, laughing at him. It was not long before he was asleep again. More symbols, joining the original eight. One like a sheath of grain, still whole, covered in hail. A crossed letter for distressed in need. A single vertical line, like an unmoving icicle. Two symbols in a dance, like a working wheel of the year. A rune that looked like a giant zigzag reminding him of a yew tree.
A different zigzag, going away from the center, more like a fruit tree, a pear, perhaps. Branching pieces reminded him of an elk for another one, and finally, a moving rune like the rays of the sun. Hagalas, Nadis, Izas, Yera, Ivas, Perth, Algis, and Sowilo. Eight more runes, and more were coming. He awoke again in the middle of the day. Radatosk was not there, but Odin was not alone. Though he did not see Odin, a proud god was nearby, and Aesir, wandering from his mother's home in Jotunheim. Do you recall who I said was there, boy? Tyr, the god of war and keeper of arms for Asgard. He was a harsh-looking god with severe features and a crooked smile. He carried a spear and a sword at his side, and could use both of them better than even Thor or Odin. He was Odin's son by a Jotun, and he was headed home, and he moved with haste, for he had heard the news. Odin drifted back. Tyr became a symbol, holding his spear. This was the first of the new batch. Then another, two triangles along a vertical line, reminding Odin of a birch tree and also of birth. An arch that was as tall as a horse and shaped not unlike it. Another rune like it, with more complexities and lines that represented humanity. A single line with a curve at the top, like running water. Another glyph, like a diamond, like the wealth of a dynasty not yet born. And another, another diamond, with two hanging bits, as if a building, propped up. And the last rune, two diamonds touching one another in severe form, like a mirror of twin gods of day and night. Tiwaz, Berkanen, Erwaz, Manaz, Lagus, Ingaz, Uthalo, and Dagaz, twenty-four runes in the Futhark. These were his guide to Mimir. He awoke again, and now Radatosk had returned in early morn. His massive teeth loomed. Oh, hello again. You were most certainly dead. You stink like death, anyway, and I would know. I can smell it from Asgard, you know. The smell of death. They came back, the twin gods of the Vanir, and they killed and killed and killed. What did you think you could do? What difference could you make with your little gods, poor son? You lost. Asgard is destroyed. You... Odin's foot collided with Radatosk's neck kicking the squirrel away as he built momentum quite suddenly. Every motion echoed in his bones like lightning running through him, and he cried out his voice like two glaciers dying against one another. The squirrel squealed, hit a few branches below, and caught itself, scurrying away to the other side of Yggdrasil. Odin swung back into the spear, but this time simply knocking it away. It had been there for a while. How long had he hung here? How many days had passed? As if to answer, the rope that had held his neck snapped, and he tumbled. He bounced off the branch directly below his feet and fell, landing flat on his face on the branch directly below it. The pain was unimaginable. Crying from pain and yet unable to cry out, Odin crawled towards the base of the tree, where water fell from the canopy of Yggdrasil like a waterfall, creating a little pool on this lower branch. He drank greedily, and his body reacted instantly. 
His beard felt like it buzzed. His wound bled fresh. He would have to bind it, but first he had work to do. Nearby was a branch that had fallen from above and dried. Odin took it and broke off the smaller offshoot, then carried it up further to Yggdrasil's upper branches. There he cleaned and dressed himself, and taking his spear, he removed the blade from the top and began to cut the branches into twenty-four pieces. Each one he then carved into one of the symbols from his vision, one of the runes, and from the branches of the ash Yggdrasil he made a poem for each rune. You have heard such poems. Rune poems teach us knowledge and wisdom, but also to read. You may not be able to read, boy, but you soon will, I have no doubt. Odin decided to test them out. He threw the runes, thinking of Mimir, and three landed upright. Thurizaz, Raido, and Lagos. The meaning was plain. His journey took him to Jotunheim, deep into it, and he should follow a river. That seemed simple enough. He did another reading, admitting to himself that Radatost's words bothered him. Was the squirrel telling the truth? Were the Aesir alive? Anzas, Feyu, Tiwaz, Tyr defended the Aesir against the Vanir, or that they were at war. Both readings troubled him. Odin knew he had to act and act quickly. Putting on his hat and changing his appearance to that of Grimnir, the far traveler moved with haste to Jotunheim, and to the one that could end the war between the Aesir and the Vanir. One of the most famous episodes in Norse mythology, like the last two episodes, is mentioned but not featured in any of the myths of its own. Tales like the Voluspa say that Odin hung from Yggdrasil from nine days seeking wisdom and got the runes, and thus, he is called the Gallows God. As God of the Dead, Odin is the God who hung himself, sacrificed to himself for knowledge. This is the most common way the runes come down to the Norse in their own reckoning. In reality, the runes are likely a very, very strange augmented alphabet. Probably related to the Etruscan or Greek alphabet, we see it evolve among the Germanic people for centuries before the Elder Futhark, which I present here as the primary form of runes, which is not the truth, but hey, creative license and ultimately get fused with the Latin alphabet. Runes are a form of writing, a way of recording information. Their preferred medium? Stone, iron, and wood, the latter of which has largely been lost to us. Runestones have been found all over Europe and even in the Americas, including the Hagia Sophia of Istanbul. What was thought for a long time to be a piece of art is actually just an example of Nordic graffiti. A Norseman carving his name into a wall of perhaps the most gorgeous church in the world while visiting the city. Vikings, they're just like us. Next episode, like this one, is mentioned in the Voluspa and the other half of the tale that is key to Odin's identity and indeed how he looks. After all, we've had a two-eye Odin for long enough. Goddessy is written, researched, and produced by Greg Wright. Additional writing and editing by Sidney Yeager, who doesn't need to hang from the world tree to gain wisdom. Music by Scott Buckley, whose Creative Commons music can be found at www.scottbuckley.com.au and also on Patreon. Goddessy can be found on social media at The Goddessy Podcast. Check us out for daily mythology facts, folklore, and fun, primarily on Twitter, but also on Facebook and Instagram. If you want to contact us, don't hesitate to shoot me a DM there or an email. Check out those addresses in the show notes. If you like what you've heard, light the beacon so others can see by leaving a review on your podcast service of choice. 
Be sure to share the good word as you like, and if you want to support the show further, check us out on Patreon, where we offer early access episodes and deep dive blogs into each episode. Goddessy is a labor of love, and I'd love to hear from you. Goddessy releases weekly on Mondays. See you next week, Far Traveler.